0: Good morning to all of you. These monitors set up. (laughs) Here we go.
1: Well, there ain't no one, Jesus Christ my Lord. Oh, His Word is pure and sharper than a sword. I'm gonna love my keeping His almighty Word. Well, there ain't no one like the God-man Savior King He died, was raised, and now just lost its sting I'm gonna give him all my praise, for him I sing Well, he's the one who made me whole And in my heart, he filled the hole love him with all my heart and all my soul i'm gonna love him love him love him day and night oh he's the one the one who gave me sight. i gotta serve him with all my strength and in his might oh, there ain't no one like the Lamb who's on the throne He's the one who is the stumbling stone He's the only light this world has ever known Oh, He's the one who made me whole And in my heart He filled the hole I'm gonna love him with all my heart and all my soul I'm gonna love him, love him day and night He's the one, the one who gave me sight I'm gonna serve him with all my strength and in his might Well there ain't no one like the father's only son his cross gives us the victory, the battle's won. And now I rest in all the work he's done. Ah, uh, but well he's the one who made me whole. And in my heart, he filled the hole. I gotta love with all my heart. I'm gonna love him with all my heart I'm gonna love him with all my heart And all oh my soul Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Alright, good morning again. I'll be right back with you. Let me hang up my guitar. All right, uh, good morning again to all of you. Could you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, continuing our study of this great epistle, uh, the Ephesian epistle. And uh, so we'll be uh, looking at today, the first of three hours in Ephesians 1, 5. And today we'll be looking at the first assertion there that the Father elected the church-age believer, you and I, by predestinating us. And we'll talk about what that is all about. And uh, so uh, this will be, uh, again, a three-hour study. in the Also in the in the future, next, uh, like on the, uh, next Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, we'll be looking at the second assertion, the B part, where it teaches us that adoption as sons was the purpose of the father predestinating the church age believer. And then next uh, coming this coming Thursday, we'll be looking at the, the, the C part, I call it, which is the the third assertion, which is that love was the reason why the father predestinated you and I as church age believers. So that is what we'll be looking at in the next three classes as we continue our study of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, which, as we pointed out, is not just to the Ephesian Christian community, but was a circular letter, and uh, whose destination was all the various churches in the Roman province of Asia, and uh, Paul wrote this, of course, during his first Roman imprisonment around 62 AD, uh, while waiting his appeal before Caesar, he, he uh, was uh, released from that imprisonment, that house arrest, and uh, so he wrote this uh, in, uh, toward the end of that first Roman imprisonment, and Colossians was probably written around the same time, and Philemon, of course, and Take a kiss, deliver to all three of those letters. So uh, that's what we'll be looking at. And today, the Lord's Supper, the first Saturday of each month, uh, we uh, observe the Lord's Supper. And so I have my bread and my juice here. And uh, so we'll be uh, uh, continuing our study with uh, the Ephesians. And also at the end of the lesson, we'll be a segue into the Lord's Supper and observe the communion elements as we do the first Saturday of each month. And also for those of you who might, uh, um, might be new to the uh, ministry, uh, we're an expository type ministry. My name is Bill Wenstrom. I'm pastor ordained in 1998 at Grace Bible Church in Somerset, Mass. Uh, I was um, I moved to Huntsville back uh, this past last August. Uh, excuse me, last July I should say, just before Fourth of July. Uh, and prior to that, I was three years in Massachusetts, and uh, and then prior to that, I was uh, 18 years in Iowa in the Cedar Rapids, Iowa area. I had two church plants there. Left there in two, June of 2019. And uh, came, I went to Massachusetts to help my uh, parents who are elderly. My mother has dementia. So, and then I, I moved here in July of uh, this past year, uh, in 2022. And so I'm the pastor at Doctrine Bible Church as well. So I continue to write and teach for Winston Bible Ministries three times a week. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays, and Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, we broadcast uh, live through uh, YouTube. And then I've, I continue to write uh, my, my materials on our wenstrum.org site. As you can see on the board, that's our main website. We have other websites as well. We have, um, we have uh, Faith Thy Sermons website, which you can access through the homepage of Wenstrum Bible Ministries, wenstrum.org. We also have podcasts, the Amazon Music, uh, Spotify, and iTunes uh, that uh, you just search for us under Wenstrum Bible Ministries. And... Uh, and so Doctrinal Bible Church, I teach there on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Central's time. And then on Sundays, I have two sessions, approximately about an hour each. And there's a break in between. And uh, so we, uh, we uh, begin services around 9.30 a.m. Uh, on, uh, on Sundays. And you, we're, if you're in the area where uh, it's Doctrinal Bible Church, uh, if you Google me, you'll see the church and you'll see the address. And you'll be connected to our, my Wednesday daughter excite. So um, it's 1215 Russell Street, Northeast in Huntsville, 1215 Russell Street, Northeast Huntsville. The address is on our org site. And uh, our ca- we don't rec- uh, videotape our classes yet there. We will be in the in not too distant future, I'm hoping. And uh, we record all of our audio classes, audio of these classes. And they're actually updated uh, up to, uh, uh, uploaded to our podcast at Wenstrom Bible Ministry. So you'll see it says broca- uh, broadcasted it in Doctrinal Bible Church, Huntsville, Alabama. And also if you look at Wenstrom.org, you'll see the, you, you can listen, it says, it has a blurb about Doctrinal Bible Church. And uh, so uh, that's what we do. All of our We have also on our Wenstrom.org page, we have over 1,700 written articles. That's right, 17 written articles in, D, in PDF format on the exegesis and exposition of the various books we've done over the last 25, 30 years. And then uh different doctrinal subjects uh there's a lot of stuff um uh, set up like in a systematic theology and then also greek word studies and different personages in the bible all kinds of stuff and prep school materials all of it you can download for free a lot of this is all book ready and uh but uh and also we um my i write my own christian music and you can download that from the wenchton.org site you'll see these tabs says music written library just go there Classes we broadcast all of our classes we record in video and audio, the MP3 and four MP3 and MP4 recordings uh, prior to August of 2019, 2019 were on our Winston site. But since then, starting in uh, August of two thousand nineteen, all of our MP3 and MP4s are on our Faith Le- Life Sermon site, which you can uh, access uh, through Winston Bible Ministries as you look at the home page. Just scroll down on it, and then we have a YouTube page. We've had been on YouTube since two thousand eleven. And I have playlists for all the studies we've done over the years and the music. I recorded and videoed my me performing my music, on Christian music, and uh, I'm in the process of trying to get a lot of stuff uh, professionally recorded. I, I finished one song, "Don't Grow Weary," that I did in the last collection of songs that I did in Iowa, so that was done. And uh, I like to eventually, um, you know, I'll, I'll eventually uh, maybe I'll play it live here for you one time on, with the recording. But anyways, uh, so. Well, that's what uh, and um, that's what we do. If you uh, uh, if you'd like to um, uh, give to the ministry, uh, you can uh, people write a check to us or they use PayPal. Uh, if you write a check to us, it's Winston uh, Bible Ministries, um, and it's tax deductible. It's the the address as you can see on the board is 603 O'Shaughnessy Avenue Northeast, Huntsville, Alabama 35801. O'Shaughnessy is spelled O small S H A U G H N sy Avenue, Northeast, Huntsville, Alabama, 35801. And if you want to give to PayPal, just go to a website, you'll see, um, uh, what is it? Uh, there's a, you'll say you can uh, donate, donate tab. Click on that and you'll go, you can uh, use PayPal that way. So uh, that's who we are, and, uh, and we're an expository type ministry. That means we go to the various books of the Bible, uh, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, book by book. We alternate between Old Testament New Testament. In between books, uh, we do various doctrinal subjects. Like before, we did uh, started Ephesians. We did the pa- a series on the pastor teacher. At DBC, on the, on Sundays, I I teach the various books of the Bible alternate as well between Old Testament and New Testament. We finished off Jude, and then right now we're coming toward the end of our study of Obadiah, and then uh, we'll be going back to the New Testament and Second and Third John, and then. Back to the Old Testament, but on Wednesdays we do various doctrinal subjects. So right now we're doing a study on Bibliology. We we finished off the Trinity. It was our first study on Wednesdays at DBC, and then we uh, finished off. Uh, uh, what was it? Um, we're doing inspiration now. We'll be finishing on that off that series this Wednesday, and um, so we um, so we we're going to be doing inerrancy as well, and, and all these different doctrinal subjects. And gee, what was what was that? Uh, of the study that we did, the first study, uh, whatever I can't even remember. Oh, canonicity. gee, Canonicity was we we finished that off uh, about uh, a little over two, almost two months ago. So uh, that's uh, who we are, who I am, what we're doing, and uh, so let's take a moment of silent prayer. As we do, we take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God. Because any mental, verbal, or overt active sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to First John one nine. If we confess our sins to the Father, He, God, the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another day to study your Word. We thank you for your uh, gracious uh, uh, graciousness and uh, love that you directed toward this ministry. And I just thank you for the people who have been supporting this ministry throughout the years and giving over their time, talent, and treasure and truth to further your kingdom. I thank you for those who are serious students of the Word of God that are supporting this ministry with not only their prayers but also financial support. And I pray you would raise up more individuals to do that if you are willing. And also... Uh, just thank you for the group I have at uh, Doctrine Bible Church here in Huntsville. Thank you so much for them and those who are listening to me live right now and uh, on through YouTube and uh, also through the, uh, watching or listening uh, to our rec- uh, classes to, on our website or ver- other various podcasts that we have and media platforms that we employ. And uh, thank you for each and every person. And I think of this study in Ephesians, I pray it would be a great blessing to the body of Christ and today. I pray that by the power of the spirit you'll help me to uh, communicate uh, this subject of in Ephesians 1:5 that you elected us by predestinating us in eternity past and I pray you would help me to do this with reverence and respect and power and use me mightily as your instrument and help me to be sensitive to the spirit's guidance and direction. I also pray Father for uh, those in the audience that are your children help them to learn by the spirit and make application uh, work mightily and powerfully through them and please break down any barriers sin and Satan might put up their hint of that from happening and also uh, any unsaved uh, people and people who are not yet Christians that are listening in or watching for whatever reasons they are thank you for them and I just pray that by the spirit, by the part of the Spirit they'll be able to understand the gospel so that they can make a decision to either accept or reject your son Jesus Christ as Savior and we know that you desire all people to be saved and come to an experiential knowledge of the truth so Father We pray, Father, that the recordings will function properly. Pray no problems with YouTube. Thank you for their service. I pray it would function properly, and there'd be no problems with the recordings, the video and the audio, and uploaded these things to our various websites, podcasts, and media platforms that you so graciously given to us. And I pray you would use them mightily and protect them from the evil one. So, Father, we pray for this service in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name, your Son, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. If you haven't turned there already, please go to Ephesians chapter one, verse one. And as I said before the opening prayer, we'll be looking at the first of three hours today in Ephesians 1.5. And uh, today we'll be looking at uh, the first part of the verse, which is which I identify as a one, uh, Ephesians 1.5a. Uh, and we'll, today we'll be noting the Father elected the church-age believer by predestinating them. And this was done, as we'll see, in eternity past. And, uh, and so uh, we're, uh, this will be our constitute our 18th hour in this uh, series, in this book. And uh, as we pointed out in our introduction briefly by way of review, for those who might be coming in late to the study, uh, uh, the Ephesians was not only, as I said before the opening prayer, written to the Christian community in Ephesus, but also the various Christian communities in the Roman province of Asia. We, it, this is indicated by, it's a, it was a circular letter, and this is indicated uh, by a couple of factors. One, we pointed out uh, it was, uh, there was no personal greetings to people in Ephesus, which we would expect since Paul spent three years he, had his ministry, he was teaching there for three years, according to Acts 18, 19, and 20. And uh, yet we don't see any personal references to him, uh, to them, and which we would expect since he knew people there in Ephesus. And also the other big factor was the prepositional phrase in Ephesus doesn't appear in the best and oldest manuscripts that we have. We do have many, many manuscripts that do have it, of course, a majority are. But uh, there's many, the oldest and the best uh, don't. And so we also noted that uh, a man named Martian in the ancient world, he saw this same epistle, but it was called the Epistle to the Laodiceans. And and many people, myself included, think that Paul, when he refers to the Laodicean letter at the end of Colossians, it was Colossians 4.18, he's talking about Ephesians, which we know as Ephesians. So it was a circular letter. It was intended for not only the Ephesian Christian community, but the various Christian communities in the Roman province of Asia, like the seven churches of Asia you see in, in uh, Revelation 2 and 3, those chapters. And, of course, First John, as we pointed out at the end of the first century, was a circular letter as well, as we pointed out, for those who studied First John with me back at Miriam, Iowa. And uh, Paul wrote this. Uh, this is not a pseudonymous letter. The church rejected pseudonymity. Tertullian and his letter, work on on baptism uh, identify uh, asserts that there was a man a pastor who wanted who revered Paul wanted to increase his fame wrote a letter to a church which uh, is posing as Paul and they they um they dis, uh, they got him out of the ministry they they uh, they uh, disciplined him and then Paul as we pointed out in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 uh, he rejected pseudonymity. He, he says it's at the end of Second Thessalonians three seventeen eighteen. He says this is my authenticating mark, and the reason why he's trying to protect against forgeries because if you remember in Second Thessalonians two, he was concerned that someone wrote a letter allegedly from him and Sylvanus saying that the day of the Lord had taken place. So that's why he says I put my authenticating mark on this letter to protect against forgery. So that would mean that they rejected pseudonymous letters. They, and, and this is true for for a second in Timothy and Titus, as we pointed out, which is uh, considered by the majority of biblical scholars astonishingly as being a uh, uh, a pseudonymous letters, which is ridiculous. Paul's got his letter, his name on the letters of, the, of all those three letters, the pastoral epistles, and also Ephesians. So the burden of proof in the early church here's the other big thing that for for over almost two, two thousand years, except when we get into the the the, the modern era, post modern era. In America, Western Europe, uh, nineteenth, eighteenth centuries, twentieth—excuse uh, me, nineteenth, twentieth centuries, and now twenty-first century, we uh, the church is uh, many in the churches rejected as being Pauline these letters. And uh, the early church never had a problem. They identified Ephesians and First, Second Timothy and Titus as Pauline. So to me, the, the they, they those who believe it's t- these letters are pseudonymous are. Uh, barking up the wrong tree. They've been refuted and the evidence is against them. And they had the burden of proof is on them and they haven't, been, haven't convinced anybody that those, except for themselves. So uh, then we have uh, the first, uh, the identification of Paul in verse one and the beginning of the letter. It's a typical Greco-Roman uh, letter uh, written in the first century. Uh, and it was, in the, the, uh, then we have, the, we have a spirit-inspired uh, greeting in verse 2, where Paul, as we pointed out, uh, wanted the recipients of this letter to uh, have them, uh, he wanted the grace of God as manifested through the contents of this epistle, Spirit-inspired letter, to uh, the contents to be manifested in the lives of those who he's writing to. And, uh, and this would result in peace in them as individuals and when interacting with each other. The purpose of this letters, as we pointed out, is maintain, uh, Paul was concerned about maintaining the unity of the Christian community uh, through uh, the function, through the pro, uh, the practice of the command to love one another. We pointed that out in our introduction in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, which begins the the, um, the imperative section of the the letter. The first three chapters were indicatives, we call it the indicatives of the letter, and then the application, the imperatives come in verses 4, 5, and 6, the applications of the first three chapters comes in four f- chapters, four, five, and six. So he's concerned about the practice of the communion of love one another to maintain that unity in the Christian community. He's a little concerned about, as he is in Romans, uh, that in, uh, that uh, the the Jewish Christian community and the Gentile Christian community get along, and uh, because it was a culture shock for the Jews uh, interacting with the Gentiles, different uh, lights that had nothing to do with each other prior to uh, the baptism of the Spirit on the day of, uh, or with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. So it was difficult for Jewish Christians to adapt to the Gentile Christian community interacting with them because prior to uh, the baptism of the Spirit, they had nothing uh, to do with each other. And uh, so, uh, this is where we're at in the letter. And so let's look at, as we've been doing, let's read the first 14 verses. uh, And uh, you know, verse five is, Ephesians 1, 5, before we read them. Ephesians five is set in the, uh, in, in the in what we call the the preface of the letter. It's a, in a form of a doxology. It's triadic. We have a triadic pattern in verse 3. We have a triadic pattern in verses 3 through 14. And what I mean by that is all three members of the Trinity are mentioned in verse 3 and also throughout the contents of this letter. So in verses 3 through 5 or 3 through 6, we have the, uh, Paul talking about the work of the Father in eternity past and uh, which was for the praise of the Father's glory, as, as we saw in verse six, and then verses seven to 12 talk about the work of Christ on the cross and redeeming us. Uh, that was for the Father's pra- praise of His glory, as we saw in verse 12, and then verses 13 and 14 speak of the work of the Holy Spirit at our justification, which was also according to verse 14 to the, for the praise of the Father's glory. So uh, this is a, 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 a quite a letter. It's got a lot of great things in it, and, and several tri- triadic patterns and two great prayers that actually are hinges uh, to the various sections in this letter so let's look at ephesians chapter one we'll read again the first four 14 verses and then look at verse five in detail and <clears throat> so today i'll uh, read from the esv I, I, you read from the net bible niv esv and uh, sometimes i'll leave from the lexan bible and nrsv i read from my own translation which i'm going to read from in a moment too and I highly recommend get the Net Bible because you can get it online free. And, uh, you know, ditch those King James and the new King James. <laughs> really, uh, you know, do yourself a favor. We don't speak in, in King James English anymore. And so there's so many great translations out there. Don't buy the lies by people saying the King James only crowd saying, oh, it's, you know, uh, it's a conspiracy. They, they, they're, they're changing gods word. they don't know what they're talking about. All due respect, they, they're ignorant of textual criticism, they're ignorant to, you know, the King James crowd, King James translators, which, by the way, the King James is a magnificent translation. It's beautiful. Trouble is we don't speak that way anymore. And English has changed significantly. That's why we need new translations all the time. Language, this, our language, English language is dynamic. It's changing all the time. So Get it. You can download the. You can go access the Net Bible online for free, and they get great notes, and you learn a lot too. Not just as for uh, for uh, pastors, but for lay people. So you've heard what I said. Please go and get. Make sure you get a modern translation and the King James, cap. Keep it in your library. King James is beautiful and everything, and it's done. It had a big influence in the world for a long time. But it uh, it's the King James translates themselves in the original preface they were looking forward to the day that we're now in that's right Read if you can go you can find that preface somewhere you'll you'll see that they were anticipating other translations so let's look at uh, ephesians 1 1 we'll read from the esv today paul an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god to the saints who are in ephesus and are faithful in christ jesus grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ it's blessed here we got the have the uh, introduction to the letter here the other excuse me the verses one and two of the introduction. Now we have the body of the letter beginning here with this preface. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In Him, the beloved Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, and He'll do that during the millennial reign, as we'll see. In Him, Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who, the promised Holy Spirit, is the guarantee of our inheritance, rewards for faithful service and uh, until we acquire possession of it at the rapture of the church and uh, to the praise of his glory. Let's look at verses 3 to 5 in my translation on the board. The God, namely the Father of the Lord ruling over us, who is Jesus Christ, is worthy of praise, namely because he is the one who has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. For he does uh, for he chose, excuse me, each and every one of us for his own purpose because of him alone, Christ, before creation in order that each and every one of us would be holy as well as uncensurable in his judgment. Verse 5, he did this by predestinating each and every one of us for the purpose of adoption as sons because of his love through Jesus Christ for himself according to the pleasure of his will. So Ephesians one five is what we call a participial clause which asserts that the father uh, predestinated each and every church-age believer for the purpose of adoption of his sons because of his love for them through Jesus Christ for himself according to the pleasure of his will. So this uh, participial clause identifies the means, as we'll see, by which the father elected for his own purpose each and every church-age believer because of his son before creation, in order that each of them would be holy and insensual in his judgment. So therefore, this indicates that the Father elected the church-age believer, you and I, by predestinating them for the purpose of adoption as his sons, because of his love for them, through Jesus Christ, for himself, according to the pleasure of his will. So, this participial clause is modified by five prepositional phrases. So, uh, the first one is, is the uh, prepositional phrase, and here it is, the Greek on the board, and the transliteration is right here, and the, it's, Ace and uh, this is translated, for the purpose of adoption, as his son, so, Ace is the, translated, for the purpose of adoption, as sons, and it's presenting, <clears throat> this prepositional phrase, is presenting the purpose, for which the father predestinated, each and every church age believer, through Jesus Christ, and of course, we'll be going through that, in our next class on Tuesday. The second, in Agape, it's uh, translated, <clears throat> excuse me, because of his love, and the reason why is because this prepositional phrase is presenting the reason why the father predestinated the church-age believer to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ. The third prepositional phrase, Dia we, uh, Jesu Christo, uh, Christu, excuse me, Dia Jesu Christu, translated through Jesus Christ, this prepositional phrase indicates that Jesus Christ is the Father's personal agency through whom he predestinated the church age believer for the purpose of adoption as sons. The fourth prepositional phrase, ace outone, translated for himself by myself, emphasizes the identity of God the Father. He's the referent here. It, this prepositional phrase, ace outone, it emphasizes the identity of the Father as adopting church age believers through the personal. Intermediate agency of his son, Jesus Christ, because of his love. It also, this prepositional phrase also expresses the idea that the father predestinating the church age believer for the purpose of adoption as his sons because of his attribute of love through Jesus Christ was for the benefit, quote unquote, for of himself. And the fifth and final prepositional phrase, which is kata tain eudokian, to the Lamatos out to, which is translated according to the pleasure of his will by myself. Now this particular prepositional phrase, the last one in the verse, it expresses the idea that the father predestinating the church age believer for the purpose of adoption as his sons, for his purpose alone, through Jesus Christ, corresponds to the pleasure of his will. In other words, people, it this prepositional phrase it was uh, is uh, saying that it was according to his, the father's will to predestinate us for the purpose of adoption as his sons for the for his purpose alone because of his love through Jesus Christ. So therefore, uh, we, as we noted, Ephesians 1.5 presents the means by which the Father elected for his own purpose each and every church-age believer because of his Son before creation in order that each of them would be holy and uncensurable in his judgment. So therefore, this would indicate that the Father elected for his own purpose each every church age believer because of his son before creation in order that each of them would be holy and unsensual in his judgment by quote unquote or by means of determining beforehand an eternity past or predestinating each of them for the purpose of adoption as his sons because of his love for them through Jesus Christ for himself according to the pleasure of his will. In other words, it indicates the father elected us by means of predestinating us or by means of determining beforehand for the purpose of adoption as his sons because of his love for us through Jesus Christ. So the word <clears throat> we have, this is my notes that you'll see, that'll be in PDF format uh, on, uh, on our website at, at a later date. Uh, in Ephesians 1.5, this verb, it's translated predestined, uh, which is, let's see, uh, the Net Bible, they translated predestining, I call it predestinating. <clears throat> they have predestined in the NIV and the ESV i think they have the same thing predestined okay so the word predestined there <clears throat> excuse me it is um the word proorizo and this word <clears throat> it means predetermined because the word actually pertains to determining something ahead of time or before its occurrence in other words it pertains to coming to a decision beforehand so the referent of course is the father here so therefore this verb refers to to the father determining beforehand or predestinating each and every church age believer for the purpose of adoption as his sons because of his love for them through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of his will. So he did this beforehand and eternity passed. So this is the omniscience of God comes in hand. And okay, so, and all you Calvinists and Arminiists, listen up, okay? The sovereign will of God coexists with the free will of man, says the divine decree. So because God gave us volition, it doesn't diminish his sovereignty because they could not make any decisions, no one could, unless the Father sovereignly determined those decisions to take place in time. And he did this in eternity past. Now, election is always used and predestination is always used in relation to the believer. Never, ever in Scripture, you can't find any Scripture which says he predestines, double predestination or he elects people to the lake of fire. Because The reason why is because he desires all people to be saved. God doesn't contradict himself the Calvinists and Arminians contradict themselves. <laughs> and poor Calvin, actually it's the Beza the one in his disciples who came up with this stuff because Calvin his commentaries, he believed in unlimited atonement and and, uh, and he didn't believe in uh, tulip. Okay, he was a tulip like I am. He was a four-point Calvinist, John Calvin. Beza was the five-point Calvinist. So anyways, pro-rorizo. So it's that I means this word predestined, okay, in election, it took place in eternity past. And so... It took place in eternity past. So the Father, uh, before he created anything, remember, he's omniscient. He knows he's going to create creatures like us, okay? He knows about us. So let's just take church-age believers. He knows about everybody, every more rational creature, of course. Omniscient, has all knowledge of the facts, whether actual and the possible, okay? And so he sees in time, when he creates us, he sees eventually, when we're exposed to the gospel, we're going to trust in the gospel at some point. And so when he sees that, And he puts us in this dispensation, okay? He sees us believe in Jesus Christ. He says, I have elected that person. I'm gonna elect this person. And when we trust in Jesus Christ as our savior and we're declared justified in time, whenever that is for each one of us, that manifests the fact that we were elected and predestinated by God in eternity past. And what's interesting here, he elected us by predestinating us, so He elected us to the uh, r- uh, privilege of a, uh, a eternal relationship and fellowship with Himself, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and He did that by determining, by determining beforehand to do this, for uh, to adopt us as His sons. Very interesting. So let's get back to my notes because we have a little interpretive issue, and it's important, and a lot of people don't like this, and because they're lazy, but you know, I'm doing my job. So, you know, when I tell, when I give you something, I give you my reasons why I'm doing it. Why, why I look at it this way. A lot of guys don't do this. And they just say, this is what I say. Okay. That's great. That's great. Okay. I can come up to you and say, uh, I couldn't do that in good conscience. Okay. So when I come to certain interpretive issues that are important, I'm going to bring them up. Not everyone's going to be hugely important, but this is an important one because it helps us understand the text okay because there's different ways to interpret this preposition uh, this uh, verb that's in a participial conjugation there's different ways to interpret it so the interpreter has to make a decision as to why this interpretation is the better some of them are all pretty good but there's one that's the most accurate so that's what you find many times so we see here as i said before this verb pro orizo, it indicates that the father elected for his own purpose each and every church age believer because of his son before creation in order that each of us would be holy and uncentrable in his judgment by means of determining or pre beforehand in eternity past or predestinating each and every church age believer in eternity past for the purpose of adoption as his sons because of his love for them through jesus christ for himself according to the pleasure of his will in other words again it indicates the Father elected the church age believer by predestinating them, or by, or by means of determining beforehand for the purpose of adoption as his sons, because of his love for them through Jesus Christ. Now this, as I said before, there's an interpretation here issue, and that, uh, it's, uh, it's not going to mess up any kind of doctrine in the Christian faith, but we're trying to understand what Paul's saying accurately here. Okay? We want to know what the author's intent. That's always the job of the interpreter, authorial intent. What did the author intend and what did the original recipients of this letter understand Paul to be saying? That's my job as an interpreter. That's why I go back to the original languages. That's why I give you reasons for why I interpret and translate the way I do. And, uh, so, uh, there's a lot of guys that won't do that because they know they'll lose people because it takes, because people have to think and people, as you can see, want to remote and sing songs and sing, you know, which I love singing too. But, uh, you know, there's no, as I said before, there's going to be no, repeat, there'll be no uh, resurgence of Christianity in America and no revival in America without the communication of the Word of God, the gospel to the unsaved and the communication God, uh, Word of God to the people in the body of Christ already, because when revival is going to, we have a revival when we, our character is being transformed by what the Spirit's teaching us in the Scriptures. That's when you're going to have revival. Music and singing is just a, an expression of the worship of God. The greatest form of worship of God is studying and teaching the Word of God, the highest form of worship. You don't think so? Look at Jesus. He taught every day in the temple. The apostles taught every day when they could in the temple before they got bumped out. And so that is what the Word of God has to be communicated. I'm more impressed if you, you show me a crowd of, of 15,000 people in an auditorium that has listened to a guy who's teaching the scriptures expository fashion and not just up there like a Joel Osteen who f- fills J- Dodger Stadium uh just with uh, his glorified Tony Ro- Christian Glo- Tony Robbins uh uh speak. He's uh, he's a he's a he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's not teaching the word of God. So uh, you want to fall for those guys many people do. But it's you know I'm more I' think there's a revival going on when there's a guy f- f- teaching the Word of God. He really is teaching the Word of God, not jumping up and down, doing, putting on a performance, Teaching the Word of God. and you've got 15,000 people who are hanging on every word, oh man. Then I'll say there's a revival going on, but I don't see that going on in the country. And you could, you know you, what we need to do is pray for pos- uh, positive volition toward the Word of God. Pray that God raise a people who love God's Word and we need to pray for our own the people already in the body of Christ, who consider them, you know, serious students of the word of God, but they they'd rather watch Netflix for an hour, for several hours binge watch that except listen to the, the word of God being taught by a pastor. And so, uh, we need a, I'm, I'm I'm trying to do my job as a pastor, which is to interpret and and then we could talk about application. Application, you ain't going to get correct application if you don't get the correct interpretation. So, again, we see that this Paul saying with this participial clause in Ephesians one five. Uh, uh, as you, uh, my let's see, I'll show you my translation of it in, in the um, in a second here. Yeah, let me give it for you. <clears throat> Here's my translation again. It says in verse five, the Father did this; He elected us by predestinating each and every one of us for the purpose of adoption as sons, because of His love through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to the pleasure of His will. So, verse five is of course related to verse 4. What did he say in verse 4? For he chose each and every one of us, elected us, for his own purpose, because of Christ alone, before creation, eternity past, in order that each and every one of us would be holy as well as unsensual in his judgment. Now verse 5, what's its relationship to verse 4, and the Father electing us? Well verse 5, I'm interpreting it as being that he elected us by predestinating us. Now there's different ways to interpret the word prororizo so predestined or predestinating as I have it. So, this interpretation of mine is supported by several factors. First, I I believe it is a participle of means. It's giving us the means by which the Father elected us. This verb pro orizo in verse 5. So first, the first reason for doing this. I'm giving my reason, my my reason for doing uh, uh, my interpretation. First, the causal participle, which it could be interpreted as, precedes the main verb, which in our context is the verb eklegomai, which appears in verse 4. Here, it's following the main verb. So, some people think this is a a causal participle. He elected us because he predestinated us, and uh, I, I don't believe that's right. I think uh, the it's a participle of means. Secondly, the participle means usually follows the main verb, which is the case here, with the verb rezo, following the verb eklegomai, which appears in verse four. So, a participle means fits better the the use of the uh, uh, because it follows its main verb, whereas the uh, we see that in the causal participle. It usually precedes it, though it can follow it. Okay? Thirdly, as we noted in our study of Ephesians 1.4, the prepositional phrase, and our toe, because of him alone is how I translate it, is marking Paul, the recipients of this letter, and their faith in Christ, the justification, as well as their union identification with him, as the reason why the Father chose them before the foundation of the world in order that they would be holy and unblemished in his judgment. So he's already told you the reason why. In other words, so causal participle would probably be unlikely. So the father elected the church age, believer, church age believer to possess an eternal relationship and fellowship with himself and the other two members of the Trinity because in his omniscience he saw that we would trust in, uh, in time his son Jesus Christ as Savior. This faith at their justification resulted in the Holy Spirit identifying them with his son in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session right hand of the father. In fact, church age believers were adopted by the father as his sons, because of their faith in Jesus at justification, as well as their identification with him in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection session at the father's right hand. Furthermore, as we noted, the action of both verbs, pro or predestined, and eklegomai, chose, or elected, took place in eternity past. Thus, the father elected the church-age believer in eternity past, which the former identifies as predestinating them to adoption as his son. So the purpose of electing them was so that they would be blameless and uncensurable in his judgment as we pointed out. And the father and the purpose of predestinating them was to adopt them as sons. To be the father's sons, they would have to share his holy character and nature, which is why they must be holy and unsensurable in his judgment like his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And this is supported by the fact that Ephesians 1.4 asserts that the church age believer was elected because of their faith and, and identification with Jesus Christ while Ephesians 1.5 asserts that they were predestinated to adoption as his sons because of his love through Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ is both the reason why they were elected and he was the personal intermediate agency through whom they were predestinated to adoption as his sons. So, therefore, the means by which the father elected church-age believers in eternity past to be holy and unsensual in his judgment was by means of determining beforehand in eternity past or predestinating them in eternity past to adopt them as His sons because of His love for them through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ on the cross and their identification with Him through the baptism of the Spirit. So we see here that predestination is an election took place in eternity past and we're saying that um, election, uh, election, it was uh, pre, it took place by means of predestinating the church age believer. So when eternity passed, the Father looked down the card as a time we could say, uh, and He saw that you and I would make a decision to trust in Jesus Christ the Savior. He had a plan for us. He at that He said, "I see that they're going to believe." He didn't coerce our volition. He just saw that we would do that. If we, if we and He just decreed us to make decisions for and against the gospel, and we just believed in Jesus Christ. So at that moment, he, in eternity past, when he sees that, he says, well, I'm going to elect that person. I'm going to do it by predestinating them. I'm going to elect them to the privilege of an eternal relationship and a fellowship with myself, the Son, and the Spirit. And I'm going to do this by means of predetermining or beforehand to do this, to adopt them as sons. So predestination people, and we can see this from Romans eight twenty-eight and 29, Predestination is sharing the destiny of Jesus Christ, people. So now we have a personal sense of destiny. You and I should have a pre- personal sense of destiny. As I said, we should be defining ourselves because of our union identification with Christ. And we should be defining ourselves in the fact that we are elected to predestinated in eternity passed by the Father to share in the destiny of Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father and, is going to, and rules over all of creation and every creature and we're His bride. We're connected to Him intimately. He's the vine, we're the branches. He's the bridegroom, and we're the bride. And he is the uh, the uh, the head, and we're the members of his body. You can't get any. He, he's the chief cornerstone; we're the stones of the building. There are many metaphors and analogies about our intimacy with Christ. So define yourself to your according to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans eight twenty eight. These this is from my notes, which is going to be. When uh, I put my exegesis and exposition of Ephesians one five on our Wensley.org page, and we'll also be putting it on Academia.edu page that I have. Um, that'll be before the Wensley.org page, and so um, this is this uh, little uh, excursus on predestination will be in that article on Ephesians one five. So Romans eight twenty eight and twenty nine teaches that the Father predestined predestinated the Christian to be conformed to the image of His Son Jesus Christ. Look at Romans eight twenty eight, please. And I'll be reading from the Net Bible. So it says in Romans eight twenty-eight and 29. And again, I'm reading from the Net Bible. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, the Christian who are called according to his purpose, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son whereas we see predestination is related in Ephesians 1:5 to us being adopted as sons it's pretty much the same thing so he says because of those who before knew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters that's why he had, it says in Ephesians 1:5 he predestinated us to be adoption to for adoption as sons okay and so Jesus is a, his son by you know because he's a second member of the trinity and we would be by adopted sons, by, and therefore we become brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ because of that adoption, okay? And then it says in verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called, that's effectually called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So, we see that uh, in, the, uh, in my notes on the board, Ephesians 1.5, on the other hand, teaches that the church-age believer was predestined by the Father in eternity past for the purpose of adoption as sons. And Ephesians 1.11 teaches that predestination is related to the Christian's eternal inheritance. It says, in Christ, from the Net Bible, translation of Ephesians 1.11, In Christ we too have been claimed as God's own possession since we were predestined according to the, the one purpose of Him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to set our hope in Christ would be to the praise of His Glory. So the scriptures, as I said before, they teach that the sinner does determine his own destiny in the sense that he must respond to God's initiation and invitation through the presentation of the gospel to enter into a relationship with him by making the non-meritorious decision to accept by faith Jesus Christ as Savior. The scriptures teach that God seeks out the sinner in order to save the sinner. The sinner save him from his wrath. The sinner who is spiritually dead does not have the capacity or the desire to seek out God. And the fact that God has to seek out the sinner in order to present him the gospel so that the sinner can make a decision to accept by faith his son as Savior or reject him indicates that the salvation of men is based upon God's initiative and sovereign choice. So therefore, God is is sovereign in predestinating the Christian and electing the Christian because the salvation of human beings is based upon God's initiative and not the sinner's faith in Christ. Why? Because the sinner has no capacity or desire to seek out or establish a relationship with God because they're spiritually dead. And if God did not take the initiative and seek out the sinner, the sinner would have no opportunity whatsoever to make a decision to accept or reject Jesus Christ as Savior. So therefore, uh, and Romans uh, uh, will uh, stop there, but uh, the Bible does not teach double predestination or that the unbeliever is predestined to the eternal lake of fire because the Bible teaches that God desires all people to be saved. What does it say in 1 Timothy 2.4? He wants all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth and all is all, all people. Uh, he, not the elect, it says all people. He, and how do we know that? Because he's telling them in the previous verses to pray for all people, even kings. Why is he wanting to pray for kings? Because he wants all people to be saved. Here's a perfect example of refuting people who believe in the limited atonement, meaning Christ only died for the elect, not the non-elect. That is heresy. Now you're misunderstanding the extent of uh, how much God loves us. He loves even the people he knows are gonna reject his son, his savior. But look at that, he says in 1 Timothy First of all, then I urge that requests, prayers, and intercessions, and thanks be offered on behalf of all people. And he defines what he means by all people. Even for kings, are there kings that are unbelievers? Most are unbelievers, would you say? Okay, even for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This verse is telling you what he means by the old people. In verse one, such prayer is for all, is good and welcome before God our Savior. Why? Because he wants all people to be saved. Unlimited atonement and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so it just, just absolutely makes me go berserk sometimes with these limited atonement people. I'll tell you the story. I was watching this guy he did a great job. He's a great scholar, but he believes this limited atonement. He, he, he's, you know, he's, going over, he's doing a hermeneutic study. And I was watching it it was on video and it was like, he did a great job. Then he gets to the end of the series pretty much. And he says, he believes in limited atonement. It's like, how in the world do you get to be living in atonement with the knowledge you have of hermeneutics and you, you know you're very skilled, you know. But you know what? He still got it wrong. Just goes to show you we can get it wrong. You could know Greek and Hebrew, you could know you could teach classes on hermeneutics and still interpret the scriptures wrong. That's why we have to be so humble when we approach the study of the scriptures, and we have to understand before we go interpret the scriptures that we do have pre you know we have a you know prejudices. We have to be. It's everybody has them. So we have to, before we, when we come in to interpret the Scriptures, we have to be aware that we have these things because we don't want us, our our view or our theological construct that we learn from somebody else or from some seminary or some pastor to influence what the Scriptures say, which might contradict that theological construct. Okay? So, in other words, let the Scriptures speak for themselves and let, let's let go where the evidence leaves us. You know, a lot of times we can, if we have to be wary of... What we already know and believe as the you know change you know um, influencing our interpretation the the passages might be saying something totally opposite to what your theology was in the past. So this is what happened to this guy who was very talented you know very gifted but he, he messed up unlimited atonement. It's uh, and if I could show him just just look at those first four verses of First Timothy, it's pretty clear he, he wants all people to be saved. There's just no question about it. I don't know how you, I, I think I'd send him, you know, sit him down. And just, you know, of course, I'm not going to, be very gentle, of course. I'm just, just saying, it's just amazing to me that this happens. And of course, you know, there's people, probably say, I can't believe Wenstrom is, you know, still believes in, you know, dispensationalism. <laughs> Whatever. So 2 Peter 3, 9, here's another good one. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some regard slowness, but is being patient toward you because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so, and we know that he desires all people to be saved because of also he, the father sent his son to be the propitiation for not just the sins of the church, but for <laughs> the entire human race. What does it say in first John two, one, my little children, I'm writing these things to you in this letter, so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, and He Himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I was speaking of the church, not the Jews, Jewish believers, ours in context. Me in the the recipients of this letter, our sins, that's what he's talking about. And not only for our sins, the church, but also for the whole world. I don't know how you could be any more explicit than that, but you know, It can, it doesn't matter to some. Look at it says in First Timothy four, four ten. It says in First Timothy four ten. First, look at first nine. We'll start there. This saying, First Timothy four nine. Reading it from the NET Bible again. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. In fact, this is why we work hard and struggle because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people. And then he says, especially believers. So he's making a distinction between believers and all people. So election and predestination is related to only believers. Nowhere in scriptures does it say that God elected the, the unbeliever to the lake of fire that contradicts his desire to see all people get saved. And that's why he couldn't pred- he, predestination is always related to believers as well. The same reason election is always related to uh, believers and never the non-believers. So we have been elected to be adopted as, whereas adoption is sons where fathers, sons, and we're, uh, we're, we're to designed to share the destiny of Christ. We're crucified, died, buried, raised, and see with Christ. We're gonna get a resurrection body like Christ. We'll be glorified, we'll have rewards for faithful service, and we'll reign, if we're faithful in, in time, we'll, part of our reward will be to reign with Christ in this millennial reign and on into eternity with the creation of heaven, new heavens and new earth. You have a tremendous plan set down for you, and scripture is what we're talking about here. Paul's telling you, and he's trying to encourage it, you and I, so you feel depressed, there we go. Here comes the application. This is what I teach myself, okay? Teach, learn to do that to yourself when you're in prayer. Instead of getting depressed and hitting the bottle or drugs or, you know, going out on, uh, you know, feeling sorry, yourself, so taking a long walk and, you know, feeling you know bad about yourself and you're lonely, hey, look at I'm single, I'd love to be married, I'm not crying in my beer. I used to. <laughs> a lot, but uh, I had it out with God many times. And you know, God, Father knows best. I'm single, that's the way it is. That's the way it is, Bill. Father knows best. So, but uh, I'm not going to, you know, have marriage or a lack of marriage and kids and wife define who I am. I'm somebody because God says, I love you. Okay, and He proved it at the cross and through the baptism of the Spirit. So, and and every day. So, I don't get, I, I deal with that, you know, I'd love to be married and have kids like the rest of my family. You know, I'd have to have grandchildren, but it ain't going to happen, okay? And so, therefore, uh, I have to make application. And the application is, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to look at the spiritual things, the blessings I have, and not the material blessings or the temporal blessings. Because eventually, even if I had kids and grandchildren and all that, and a, and a wife, um, they're going to be taken away from me and I'm going to be taken away from them, one or the other. But the one thing that never gets taken away is God's the personal sense of destiny I have. My eternal relationship and fellowship with God, that's mad. God loves me. I'm his child. I'm his son. He loves me with a love that's eternal. Nobody loves me like Jesus and the Father and the Spirit. Nobody. And that's the same for you as a believer. Okay? So stop feeling bad for yourself. Stop being depressed. So, you know, just because the, you know, just because things, hey, trials and tribulations, we must do many trials and tribulations, Paul said, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is the way it is. That they Jesus suffered. Are we higher, are we greater than the master? No, we're, we're going to do it. The, the world's going to hate us like it hate him, hated him. But look beyond that. The big picture, at the end of the day, we win. We are reigning over this earth. And Satan and the fallen angels are going to be uh prison for a thousand years. Eventually, they're going to lake a fire. Uh, and so, right now, just be occupied with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Ask the Father to help you in prayer to remind, to, to teach yourself This is what I do myself. I teach myself and remind myself of these things when I get down. I told you the story. The three years in Massachusetts prior to coming to Alabama were the most difficult in my life. I got a mother. I was on the heels. I said this before, and forgive me if if you've heard of it before, but I'm trying to encourage you guys and show you. I know I have to go through this stuff too, like you. A good friend, I lost. I I spent years with Titus Joe and Cheyenne in their home and before that. I, I, Now I was leaving them. Tyler had, uh, had uh, passed away, okay? A good friend, okay? I loved that kid. Gone. Within six months of that, I lost another two friends to suicide. I have a mother who's dying of dementia. I got a father who's got a bad heart. Could go at any time. He's 84, turned 84 the other day. I had, my sister was, had all kinds of health problems. She's doing much better. Thank you for the prayers. My brother Kenny, I, he, had, he got cancer. And, uh, and he died within a year of, of being diagnosed with it. Okay, I just lost him last November. You know, and then, I went, you know, coming to Massachusetts, went to Bible ministry, he's trying to keep that ministry going, and, you know, the financial pressure, and, you know, really, there's, in Massachusetts, they ain't a hotbed for Christianity and no kind of fellowship with other Christians very rarely. once in a while with Jim and his ministry, and he's busy, though, with his stuff. And so, it was a very difficult time. Very, very difficult time. And there were many times I just take I take my drive take a drive in this area of Massachusetts I like near my house and I would take up my little I get over to Starbucks I get my uh, what do they call it um, uh, that little uh, drink there it was honey citrus mint tea oh it's so good and I drive around I talk I talk to myself give myself advice that I would give somebody else that's going to what I'm going to that's what you got to do people and 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 you know. Now's the time to bring glory to God. It's easy to glorify God and praise Jesus when, you know, you got six figures in the bank account, okay? You got a checking account, a savings account, and you're doing well, and you're living a nice home, and you got a beautiful wife or husband, kids, grandchildren, you know, and everything's peachy keen and all that stuff. It's easy to praise God then, and you should. But can you praise God when things are going rough? that's when you're really glorifying God now you're you're now you're in the angelic conflict Satan can't stand that when we're praising God when things are going lousy in our life when we have health problems when we have family problems we have this that and the other th- financial problems and yet we're still praising God he can't stand it that's why he couldn't stand it when Job said hey the word the Lord gives and the Lord takes away blessed be the name of the Lord he couldn't stand that because he he was counting on Job to say Lord I hate you you know so you know, you want to glorify God, we want to glorify God. Well, this is the things we have to go to, and it's not easy. But hey, there's the other thing. One the thing, I just, i tell you, interesting. I played in a band with a guy, and his his name is John. I won't tell you, I don't, we used to call him, he, he, a great drummer. And uh, I got word from a friend, the guy who led me to the Lord calls me yesterday and tells me that this mutual friend of ours who we played in the band with, he was an excellent drummer, and uh, I got to speak to. I hadn't speak to him like twenty five years, and I got to talk to him several times in great detail when I was in Massachusetts. Well, I got a word yesterday from the guy who led me to the Lord, and uh, he said that uh, our friend John had suddenly passed away in his home. Nothing, we don't know. He had a, no no idea why he died. He just no. They had any health issues, as far as we know, just gone. So when I think about people died and suddenly, or my brother Kenny, or that whatnot, you know, I just think about, you know, I'm so thankful that God grabbed me when I was younger to show Billy, this is what life is really about. Don't go down this idolatrous path that, path that most people go. Wide is the road that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life. And I'm so thankful, it's a miracle that I'm I'm doing what I'm doing, and I'm so thankful, When especially when things like that happen, like, oh. Because if I go, suddenly, You know, it's like I'll be, you know, I'll be like absent from the body face to face with the Lord to live as Christ, to die as gain. Death is not a thing to fear. You know, for most people, it is a thing to fear. And it shouldn't be that way for the Christian. If you're doing God's will and you're in fellowship with Him, keeping short accounts with God, confessing your sins, you know, your whole tenure of life is being obedient and learning God's word and putting it into practice, you should have nothing to fear facing the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so, with that being said, Let's segue into the Lord's Supper and give our thanks to the Lord by observing the communion elements. I'm going to strap on my guitar again and sing us a song that I wrote years ago called Remember Him. And uh, so uh, let me uh, just, uh, I'll mute the mic and I'll be right back. All right, just want to make sure my guitar was plugged in and going uh, on. All right, this one I wrote a long time ago for, for the Lord's Supper when I was at GBC.
1: so afraid he sent a blessing then he broke the bread as thoughts of you were running through his head this is my body which I give for you the veil of flesh that will be torn into remember When you eat the bread and drink the wine Remember Him We are the branches, He's the vine (coughs) This cup was poured out for you and me By man of sorrows died to set us free for the joy before Him He endured the cross But bread from heaven came to save the lost Remember Him When you eat the bread and drink the wine Remember Him are the branches he's the vine for our transgressions he was pierced right through like a sheep to the slaughter he was killed for you no greater love could God ever show than to send his son to save our full our soul Remember Him When you eat the bread and drink the wine Remember Him We are the branches, He's the vine Remember Him Remember him, oh yeah, remember him When you eat the bread and drink the wine
0: Gail okay, will the guitar break right back. All right, I'm back and if you could turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23. First Corinthians 11:23 and uh, we'll be looking at the observing the Lord's Supper here. I got a uh, juice in the cracker here. So uh, we're bringing into remembrance our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His great sacrificial act of love on our behalf, an eternity past where He suffered the wrath of God in our place so that we wouldn't suffer the wrath of God forever in the lake of fire. Uh, we live, he lived the life of perfect obedience that required by a holy God in order to have a relationship and a fellowship with Him, and we couldn't do that because we're sinners by nature and practice. So, God the Son, the eternal Son of God, who is equal to the Father and the Spirit, and uh, became a human being. And because He became a human being, that didn't diminish the integrity of His divine attributes, and neither was His human attributes corrupted or diminished in any way because He was god and so uh, he was equal to the Father and he was uh, and also uh, like us, yet without sin. He didn't have a, a sin nature because he didn't have a human father and our parents passed down the sin nature f- uh, from through sex. and of course, that's why Joseph couldn't impregnate Mary and uh, the Holy Spirit had to impregnate Mary because uh, the parents, uh, the, particularly the Father because he plants the seed that bring, carries on this uh, uh, the sin nature to the rest of the human race. So Jesus, didn't have the principle of the sin nature in him, and he didn't commit an act of sin, and he had no possibility, very important, he had no possibility of ever sinning. Why? Because he's God, and God can't sin. Now, why did sin, the Satan tempt him? Well, first of all, he could. He wanted to inflict in some pain on Jesus, the Son of God. But the, temp, the nature of the temptations was not to be fair to Satan, because God would have been fair to Satan if he threw him in the lake of fire without a trial. <laughs> That's right. He showed him grace, like he did the rest of the human race when they fell, and without him. And so uh, he is—he's God. So if he's God, just because he became a human being, that didn't mean he had any potential of sinning. How could he? He's God. So uh, I like to—I learned this from John Wulverd, uh, who uh, he said, you know, can a, can can a, a tugboat attack a battleship? Yeah. Does the tugboat have a chance of winning? No. Satan is the tugboat. And he was trying to tempt Jesus. That he had any potential of sinking the boat and causing Jesus to sin? Not a chance at all. So the nature of the temptations from God's perspective is to show that his son was the God the God in the flesh. That's why. That's what the nature of the temptations were. So he became a human being. And so you think of the other thing. If he had a potential of sinning, so our salvation would be hanging like that on a a volitional decision like that. There was no chance that our salvation would be accomplished. There was no chance of that. So Jesus, the thing, that kept, the thing that was the most difficult thing for Jesus, and here's the depths of the cross here, okay? Pay attention. Uh, and this will really give you a great appreciation for, for, for your relationship with Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what they did for us. Jesus was abandoned by, he, he suffered the wrath of God, right? So how did he do that? Well, he was abandoned by his Father. We always think about the physical torture. He, was, he suffered two scourgings, he suffered the crucifixion, and then he suffered physical death. He died of his own volition, by the way. The other thing is he had to suffer the wrath of God in the sense that he had to be abandoned by his father. So he basically experienced what it's like to be under the wrath of God in the lake of fire for those last three hours on the cross so that we wouldn't suffer the wrath of God in the lake of fire forever. Think about that. So he suffered the torture that we should have suffered. He should have suffered the penalty. He suffered the penalty that we should have suffered. He's our substitute. And he did because he loves us. So all the arguments about God doesn't love His creatures were thrown out the door. That crucifixion, Satan did not want Him to go there because He knew His the works His works would be destroyed, and He'd be done. That's why He sent that letter uh, to uh, Pilate's wife to not have anything to do with that righteous man. Satan didn't want that Jesus to go to the cross. But again, Satan, uh, in his in his when he caused Adam to sin, he sunk his own boat. At, uh, so to speak, because now he couldn't, couldn't he, you know, God can't, you know, God couldn't do things against people's volition. Satan can't do uh, the human, against the volition of a human being. What I mean is this Satan causes, tempts Adam and Eve to sin. He plunges the whole sin, human race into sin. Now, because he did that, now Satan doesn't want him to go to the cross, but good luck, Satan. You can't stop him. That's the human race. They want to crucify Jesus, the sin nature. Uh, is now driving them to crucify Jesus, the sin nature among the Jews, the function of the sin nature among the Jewish people, the unregenerate Jews. So, you know, by tempting Adam and Eve to sin, he actually wrote his own ticket to the lake of fire, so, I mean, in that sense, or his own destruction. Because now, he couldn't stop these sinners from crucifying Jesus, and he didn't want Jesus to go to, just die on the cross. He was kind of hoping he could, he could uh, kill him with the, the, uh, the scourgings. That's why he had two of them. So, yeah, so Jesus, he was a bit, he, he, the thing that God, Jesus was so petrified by, he spoke, you know, Father, if this cup pass, not my, not my will, but your will be done. What was he f- afraid of? Yes, the torture was terrible, but really he would be asked by his father to not have fellowship with his father for the first time ever. Remember, they always had perfect fellowship from eternity past. Now the Father and the Son would not have fellowship. He offered himself up to the eternal spirit, Jesus did, Hebrews 9.14, but the transaction was between the Father and the Son to provide for us our so great salvation. So that's, that's how much he loves you and I. How do you think Jesus valued this, his fellowship with his Father? <laughs> There's no, no one has any idea what that's like. Only Jesus and the Father know that, and the Spirit. But he did it for us. So he values uh, fellowship with his father, and he was willing to suffer the loss of it for those three hours on the cross, so that we wouldn't suffer uh, uh, the wrath of God in the lake of fire. He suffered in our place. What a great what! Now see what I'm saying? No matter how bad things get, you got the your biggest, my biggest problems were solved at the cross. God loves you, and every time I feel down or things are going really bad and really a lot of pressure. Well, Jesus loved me at the cross. I just got to keep, I keep telling myself that. And when it times, comes time to me, my physical death, the greatest adversity that will strike a human being, right? When a time, whatever that is, whether it's today or, uh, you know, it's quick or slow, or whatever it is, I'll be talk, constantly telling myself, you love me, Jesus. And thank you for doing that. And this is what we're doing here. But bringing in remembrance is perfect person and work. So the bread, it depicts the perfect human nature of Christ and hypostatic union. The blood speaks of his, sacrificial death on the cross for us, his substitutionary spiritual and physical deaths. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11:23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread in remembrance of our Lord. Then in verse 25, Paul writes, In the same way, the Lord took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the Lord's cup in remembrance of his death on on the cross for us. Then Paul says in verse 26, For every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for everyone here for this lesson today and the observance of the Lord's table. Those who might be viewing this or listening to this through the the recordings at a later date, thank you for each and every person. I pray this lesson and uh, the the observance of the communion elements and the message there would be a great blessing and encouragement to your people and help them continue to persevere in your plan and to grow up to become like your son, Jesus Christ. And uh, I pray the Spirit would do a mighty work through your people. And, we, so, and all of us. And so I just pray for these things in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Thank you, everyone. I'll, I'll see you on Tuesday, Lord willing, at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. See you then.